Good morning. It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, June 21st, 2022. I'm Peter Apathy, and this is Raven News. Like much of coastal Alaska, Southeast relies on barging in freight, everything from groceries to toilet paper. As inflation continues, the region is feeling the pinch at retail shops and at the pump. Coast Alaska's Angela Denning reports. Lloyd Rice is pulling a chain hoist, getting ready to offload freight from a container van. He's in the warehouse of Hammer and Weekon Hardware Store in downtown Petersburg. He's never sure how much freight there will be until it arrives. It depends when it just shows up at the Seattle terminal. These boxes of merchandise got shipped in from Seattle on AML, Alaska Marine Lines, the region's largest barge company. Rice will go through the paperwork and expects increases. Suppliers are charging more. Sometimes the invoices have significantly increased. Sometimes I say to myself at some point throughout this inflation going on, the product is not going to be sellable to anybody in the community. The hardware store sells everything from commercial fishing gear to potting soil to kitchenware. But it's not just the cost of these goods going up. It's getting it here. AML has tripled its fuel surcharge over the past year, raising it to 26%. Last year, we've seen so many increases. Standing nearby is Jim Floyd, the general manager for this hardware store, as well as the company's grocery store and convenience store. He says they bring in more food than anything else. We get charged by the weight. Basically, it's between 30 and 35 cents a pound currently. So you're talking about a 10-pound bag of flowers, that's $3. That's added just for the weight, and then you have to add the fuel surcharge on top of that. The company imports goods on the barge twice a week, filling around three 40-foot container vans. The problem is that that's, that's the third increase just in the fuel surcharge, not to mention almost a 5% increase in our rates uh, year over year. So, uh, and people notice it when they go to the check stands and, and the cost of everything is so much higher. Especially the heavy items. You know, honestly, it's ridiculous how much we pay for water just because of the weight. So when I see people buying cases of water, it's just like I cringe because they're paying just for freight, freight and fuel. Higher barge prices affect most retailers in Southeast. There's definitely that ripple effect all across the board. Angie Flickinger runs a business in Wrangell making body care products like soaps and lotions. She says the cost for some of her ingredients have gone up 20 percent in addition to increased shipping. In my business, I, you know, have to ship up like large quantities of raw ingredients. And so just trying to plan all of that and factor in the shipping cost and adjust our prices for that, like that, I'm feeling that a lot. But it's not just the freight going up. Flickinger lives 12 miles outside of Wrangell and drives into town most days to her manufacturing shop. Gas locally is about $5.50 a gallon. So lately, she's been working at home a few days a week and being more careful about planning trips. Really, since the gas prices have risen up quite a bit, I mean, we've been kind of staying home on the weekends, too, and not driving to town on weekends if we don't have to. Gas all over southeast Alaska is over $5 a gallon at the pump. On June 13th, it was $5.42 in Sitka and five sixty-three in Petersburg, which is a 33-cent jump within a month. In the capital city, prices range from 5.23 to 5.70 a gallon. 
The more remote communities have even higher prices. In Cake, on the northwest side of Kupernoff Island, residents are paying $7.74 a gallon. AML did not respond to requests for comment. Reporting in Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. Despite hours of testimony from residents living along the Yukon and Kuskokwim rivers who called for urgent action to curb the bycatch of Chinook and Chum salmon in the Bering Sea trawl fisheries, the North Pacific Fishery Management Council last week decided to approach the problem more methodically. In a unanimous vote near the end of its five-day meeting in Sitka, the council recommended further study of salmon declines in the Bering Sea and a closer look at their connection to climate change. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. When you look at the bar graphs of salmon abundance in the Yukon River, the third largest river in North America, you do a double take. The graphs are scaled to millions, and the bars, which show peaks and valleys over the years, just disappear in 2020 and 2021. The forecast is no better this season. At this point, there should be alarm bells going off all over, not only in our communities, but all over the state and federal government agencies. Vivian Corthius is the chief executive officer for the Association of Village Council Presidents, a consortium of 56 federally recognized tribes on the Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta. Among the region's 27,000 residents, Corthius said 98% of households harvested salmon. Council meetings typically involve hours of presentations on the scientific research and the stock decline, but Corthius pointed out a glaring oversight. What your reports don't show are the families in western Alaska who are worrying about putting fish away to feed their children throughout the winter and parents and grandparents who are unable to pass our way of life down to our children and future grandchildren. I normally put away 2,000 chums salmon to feed my dog team. Last year, I caught only two. Mike Williams Sr. is from Akiak. He chairs the Kuskokwim River Intertribal Commission, which represents 33 tribes in the Kuskokwim River drainage. The salmon collapse is nearly as dire on the Kuskokwim. Williams was discouraged that the Pollock trawl fleet so far this year had already caught and discarded 5,100 Chinook salmon and last year caught and discarded 540,000 chum. He said, the waste of a single fish is unjust for indigenous fishermen. Nevertheless, Williams recognized that the problem was complex. We understand that is not every salmon caught by pollock fisheries bound for western Alaska. We understand that other factors like climate change and competition with hatchery fish have impacts on our salmon in their marine environment. 37 people signed up to testify before the council on the issue, by far and away most of them urging the council to reduce the amount of allowable bycatch of Chinook and Chum salmon by the Pollock fleet. But it was clear from reports about conditions in the Bering Sea that although the bycatch numbers are significant, they're still a fraction of the overall decline in salmon. Stephanie Madsen, the director of the Atsi Processors Association, sympathized with the crisis faced by the villagers of western Alaska, but she suggested that it was a mistake to pin the blame on trawlers, if at all. I understand from public testimony and reality that it really is at this time the only thing that is controllable. 
you can put your hand on the dial and you can turn it down and, and hope that there will be an impact to those that are in crisis. But Mr. Chairman, I'm concerned that although we are controllable, uh, that that dial doesn't have the ability uh, to address all the variables that we have heard today that are appear to be uh, causing the decline. Climate change, uh, lack of food, uh, competition with the hatchery fish. Madsen argued that the decline in salmon was a coastwide issue and that if the council took steps to reduce the incidental catch of salmon by trawlers and the results were not what folks are hoping for, disappointment will continue. The effort to play down the significance of trawl bycatch did not sit well with representatives of other fishing industry sectors who testified on the issue. Sitka resident and former council member Linda Benkin is the executive director of the Alaska Longline Fishermen's Association. Benkin was a key figure in working to ban trawling off the coast of southeast Alaska. She didn't believe that trawling, although an important provider of protein to the world, was in any way sustainable even when Councilmember Ann Vanderhoven, who works for the Seattle-based Arctic Storm Management Group, argued the point that trawling was environmentally friendly. Yes, there's certainly a lower carbon footprint when you have the kind of mass of fish that's being harvested in the pollock fishery, but it is a system that doesn't localize that access. We've done a lot of seafood distributions in the last few years to communities in need, and what those people want is their local foods. I mean, you can send them Pollock and say it's a low carbon footprint, but it doesn't meet their need. It doesn't meet their culture. It doesn't meet their connections to that place. Given the intensity of the feelings around bycatch, the motion brought forward by the council's advisory panel was tepid, as introduced by Rachel Baker of the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. The council commits to continued improvements in bycatch with the goal of minimizing bycatch at all levels of salmon and pollock abundance. There was also a call for further research to tease out whether lowering the current caps on the trawl bycatch of Chinook and Chum would make any difference at all to the recovery of the stocks in western Alaska, and as a concession to the many affected residents who testified from the Arctic Yukon-Kuskokwim region, the motion included language to incorporate more traditional knowledge into the decision-making process in the future. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. A former Ketchikan Gateway Borough Assembly member has asked the borough to cut more than half a million dollars in funding to the community's library. John Harrington cites the library's decision to host a drag queen for a children's story time in a letter requesting the cut. Harrington says defunding the library is, quote, the only avenue left to force a community decision on the library's activities. Though the library is owned and operated by the city of Ketchikan, the borough contributes about 40% of the library's budget through a property tax on homes and businesses outside city limits. The assembly met at 5.30 p.m. last night. I'm Peter Apathy, and this has been Raven News.